Nathan Fable, a pastoral podcast where we discuss common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. I'm Mark. I'm Matt Miller. I'm Matt Henry. And I'm Lena. Remember to hit those five stars for us, guys, and subscribe. Share with your friends. What are we talking about today? So we are following up on an episode that we did regarding Beth Moore. Like the last episode. Well, I don't know when this stuff's released. So Oh, that's true. You know. See, Anyhow, I, I, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, been one of our most popular episodes, for good or for bad. But yeah, um, this one d- fits under that controversial topic. It shouldn't be, but well, it does. Yeah. So we're gonna do a follow up because we did have some comments and feedback that people would like to hear more about women preaching and teaching. Yeah, and how that all fits in. So that's what we're doing here. So. In in that light, a lot of heat, a lot of memes have been generated, still being generated on, on this whole subject. It's fascinating to me how long this is lasting. Um, uh, all because MacArthur uh, made a comment. I don't think it was helpful, um, but it wasn't the end of the world. But you would think it was the end of the world. Um, and I, th- I think it's just a reflection of the culture right now. Um, and at some point, the American culture is just going to drop dead from exhaustion uh, because it keeps itself so riled up, filled with angst and hurt. Um, but apparently it hasn't arrived yet, so we have to still endure all these fake tears, this fake humility, um, fake battles against fake enemies. Um, and that's, that's all really we're dealing with here in this um, issue of Beth Moore. It's, it's not a difficult subject. But what's more important is that behind all of this, the core issues that are really at, at stake with the Beth Moore issue is not, are, are, they're not being answered. Um, and the problem is there's a lot of leaders out there in the church who people respect and listen to, and they're, they're giving vague answers. And so we want to try to speak to that tonight. And hopefully we can we can begin to bring some biblical light, I guess, for yeah. lack of a better. We just we want to answer. The, I mean, what does the Bible say about this stuff? Yeah, that's what we're interested it's, in. It's that simple. Um, and and yet we're finding that people are not asking that. Um, the only way you're going to ever deal with a subject like this well is if you go to the text and you just say, "What does the text say?" Um, and, and at that point, then you're forced to make a decision whether you're going to let, let your emotions rule you, your presuppositions, your cultural values, or just what does the Bible uh, say? And one of the things that we're trying to teach and show in this uh, program is, you know, what, what does the Scripture say? Which is at the core of your, our, our title or our name, right? Faith and Fable. We're trying to describe what is the body of doctrine, the faith, Versus the fable, and Beth Moore is a good example of that. Um, I think it's very shameful, and it should be even seen as shameful. Um, the teachers of the church are always supposed to guide the people back to the Word of God, and they're not. 
Instead, we're finding teachers um, reflecting the same kind of spirit of false prophets that Israel had, who will not speak truth. And at that point, opinion and clever speech is what rules the day. And it's it's deadly. Even though Beth Moore and the issue of women preaching is not the end all, it it the spirit and the mindset and the attitude that's driving it is is absolutely deadly. So uh, all we're going to say is once everyone looks at the Bible, then then you can finally have a real, genuine conversation. But everyone is focused on the text at that point. So now we can talk. Uh, we, we are able to then allow our conversation to reflect what the text is saying rather than what our heart is saying or what our cultural values. So with that, we have six points. Six points. I mean, yeah. that's a pretty so, bad segue, but that's <laughs> that's basically it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, we want to use the whole discussion that's happening right now with MacArthur and Moore to talk about this topic of, of women teachers, uh, because that's what's at stake, women teaching and preaching. That's what's undergirding this entire conversation. And so, yeah, we have six points. So, number one, uh, it's important to frame... Um, uh, Framing the argument is important because it defines what is discussed. Right. So what are we even talking about? Right. So too many people right now are trying to argue about whether a woman is to be preaching. Uh, honestly, just go and look at the articles and listen to the podcasts and whatnot, and that's what you're going to hear. Um, or should they be preaching for the pulpit? That's the other question. Or should they be preaching from a pulpit in the main Sunday gathering? Or should they be allowed to preach if the elders permit them to teach or somehow preach under their umbrella of authority? That's the kind of thing that you're hearing over and over again in this whole discussion. Right. Yeah, but the Bible, problem with that is the Bible doesn't address it that narrowly. Um, and so we find ourselves somewhat in an awkward position when we talk about this, at least in some people's eyes. And so as we walk through the key passage here uh, regarding women preaching or teaching, um, we think it's going to be helpful for you to have a Bible open so you can actually look at the text as we deal with the text. Yeah, if you're driving, I mean, Listen, obviously yeah, well. don't get the Bible out, right? But, <laughs> yeah. but it, we're, we're really going to be intensely looking at this the, the flow of a text because it's important. Um, at the same time, I think it's worth saying that we're not trying to convince anyone because I think both of us have learned a long time ago that that's not possible. Um, all we can really do is present and proclaim, if you will, or preach uh, with as much clarity the Word of God, and then yeah. you let the chips fall. Right, because if, if, a, if a person's truly wanting to understand or at least begin to wrestle over the issue at a textual level, that's the person we're trying to engage with this. Right. Um, many have come with preconceived notions who haven't done an honest study, I'm finding, of the text for themselves, but have simply adopted the statements of others. Um, and that's where a lot of this is at. Many have heard a few brief statements on Facebook or they listen to a two-minute deal on you know, video clip or something, but no one's ever done a serious examination of what the Bible actually says. Um, yeah, I, I've spent way more time on this subject than I want to, and I'm still not finding anyone dealing with the biblical text. That's yeah. what's driving our time tonight. Yeah. So we just want to get people to think, to slow down for a moment and consider how much of what they think or believe is actually bound up in a biblical framework. So we're not going to deal specifically with those in light of that who who argue that there are no restrictions regarding the teaching of 
or the minute teaching minute women teaching ministry in the church. That was easy for you to Boy. say. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, that view will be answered simply by dealing with the text itself. Um, rather we we're going to, what we're going to seek to do is attempt to show how the Bible reveals that the role of teaching in the church is very limited in the sense of the audience and the purpose. And so the result of that is that the Bible also limits who can and therefore should teach. So we have a key passage. It's the one that you should always go to when this whole subject comes up. And in fact, I would say that you have this text burned in your mind. And then when you listen to the people start to talk, just let what their words are saying flow through this grid work. And you're going to find that much of the stuff is uh, wanting. Do you want to read it for us? Sure. Are you sure you want me to read it? It's a long one. And you should tell them where it's at since I failed to do that. Okay, we're coming at you with 1 Timothy 2, that famous passage, 8 through 15. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as befits a woman making a claim to godliness. Let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it is Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman, being quite deceived, fell into transgression. But women shall be preserved through the bearing of children, if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. All right, because so there's a flow of logic that's going on. That's why we, we didn't just pull out uh, the two key pass, uh, verses in here, but we, we wanted to deal with the whole section because Paul is dealing with a, a, a bigger argument than just women teaching or not teaching. Yeah, there's um, a context. Yeah, and once you get the context, then a lot of the things that you'll hear people try to do to make this passage go away simply no longer becomes an issue. So understand there's a flow. Uh, It's a very easy uh, passage to actually follow. The only time it becomes complex is when you try to make it not say what it says. Um, And then things become very complex because you're trying to explain away the very clear meaning. And so some of this we're going to deal with uh, lightly because it's not specific to the issue of teaching, but we do want to deal with the passage in uh, nonetheless so that you can see the flow, hear the flow, and understand what Paul is trying to get into. So with that. Yeah. So so first of all, men, the first point is that men should be leading the church in prayer. That's the first point Paul makes. And verse eight marks out the men specifically. And so in the beginning of the chapter, he is uh, speaking of the need to pray for those who are in power. And so here he now focuses upon the men of the church. And so he says they're to be pure in heart so that they might pray properly and effectively. Um, and the, the problem implied in the context of what Paul's speaking into is that there were fights and disunity that were occurring in the church among the men in particular. And so it was, it was stifling out true prayer. Uh, that's the issue. And so he says to put these sins away. Uh, behind this is the idea that it is not a proper look of men to be fighting with each other. Um, rather, they, they should be praying men, and this is what they're to be known for. This is what they should, what should draw people's interest about them. They shouldn't be known for their, their personal agendas, but rather they should be known as godly men of prayer, seeking the good of everyone else in the church. 
And and that's worth noting. Uh, he he starts out not with women, but he starts out with the men of the church, and he just simply instructed him in every place to be this way of lifting holy hands up in prayer. And so, understand that the first thing he would argue, as you just said, is men, you should be leading in the church, not the women, in in the work and the task of prayer. Um, and then the second one. Uh, is in verses 9 and 10. It's that women are to be careful with their dress. Again, he's not jumping right into teaching. He's dealing with a a larger issue here. And that's in verses 9 and 10. Do you want to read those? Mm -hmm. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as befits women making a claim to godliness. Now, this isn't a hard passage to understand either. It's very clear. It's just incredible the level of resistance that gets met with. Um, when I preached through this on a couple of different occasions, even as pastor, it was uh, amazing how many people got angry with me, talked to me afterward, tried to qualify everything. But all Paul is saying is that women are to wear clothing that is respectable. Now, there's a lot that you could say about that, but we're not going to get into that right now. Um, it's sufficient to say that a way a woman dresses conveys, though, very clear messages about herself and her values. And that's the underlying principle for Paul. Uh, there's an in- The internal desire always makes its way to the external. And so it is in the case of women. The internal state of her heart and that which a woman truly wants to be known for will always end up manifesting itself in an external way. For men, it can be manifested in multiple ways. But here he's speaking to the women, and he's and he's pointing out that one of the key ways you do that is the way that you dress. And so in light of that, Paul enlarges on that to say that a way a woman dresses should express a modest heart and sound judgment or sober thinking. So a lot of people will say, well, what's modest? And it's like, well, you tell me. What what does a modest heart look like ex, look like externally? And, he, and all he's saying is expensive clothing is not something that you show off on Instagram. It's something to actually repent of. He expands it even more to say that the hairstyles and such are to be kept free of ostentatiousness, um, simplicity, and right. um, yeah, not seeking and, attention. Yeah, right, attention draw. Not trying right. to draw yourself and 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 be that person. Um, and again, this is where the whole idea of the Instagram culture just comes in. And uh, what are you trying to portray about yourself? And what what do you want the people to see? The best Instagram can see is your external. And somehow that Instagram is supposed to show something that reflects properly a modest and discreet heart. And that's so, so different. So imagine in Paul's day, a a poor slave girl who comes to worship. She's now sitting near, and and now sitting right near her is a woman who has the latest clothes, the beautiful perfume, the fancy makeup and hair. Now you can imagine what the message is being communicated right then. Um, And and we're about ready to go off to Ethiopia and we see that, right? We've seen the the poor mm-hmm. and the simple, and they have nothing. And again, how things are being conveyed by the kinds of cars that people are arriving and how they sit and array themselves. Um, well, it's the same in America. 
And so, and so how he then sums it up in verse 10 is so good because he refuses to actually give a specific dress code. Instead, he says, dress and conduct yourself in such a way that it models what a godly person should look like. In other words, when you look at your closet and your mirror, the question is asked is very simple. Does this external appearance express that I'm a lover of Christ and a godly woman? Or does it express a desire to be recognized simply for me? And so that's the question you can ask. He doesn't give a list of acceptable clothes or amount of jewelry you, uh, you can wear. Rather, he is always bringing it back to the heart. Um, and you're enjoying my misspelling there because... Well, that one was my misspelling. Well, that's your misspelling? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wow, that was a bad, egregious misspell I did there. Well, it uh, is what I'm known for. Uh, it's okay. And then he ends it with a key point. He says, adorn your life with good works. And this is what we've been already talking about um, in the prior podcast. Um, this is what's said over and over again to the women of the New Testament, to be busy with good works. Are people, in other words, noticing you for the external things you adorn your body with, or are they noticing you because your entire life is adorned with works that befit righteousness? That's a radical idea today. Takes up all your time. Yeah. 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 Uh, And then third, as he progresses the argument, um, in verse 11, women are to be active learners. He says, let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. Uh, and so this is a command. It's actually written in the imperative mood. Um, so the command there is to learn. It's very simple, very straightforward. And so learning, though, isn't something that only men should be actively engaged in, but also women. Um, the question then becomes, how are they to learn? Uh, that's the question. And so Paul gives two statements that fill out the idea, this idea of learning. And so the first one is he says they're to learn in quietness. Now, there, there's a question on this term as if it means silence or if it's more speaking of a heart attitude of a kind of peaceableness. Right, right. Um, But since it's being said in the context of teaching in verse 12, uh, then it's best to see it as quietness, um, though peaceableness is captured in that. Like so many of those things, there's a both and. There's a shade, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so this is where understanding grammar and syntax is helpful. Um, if, if you try to understand or interpret this idea of quietness or silence in verse 11 without first understanding that it's tightly connected to verse 12, then you're not going to understand the statement right. rightly. It's, if you pull it out all by itself, you're going to mess it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. It, they belong together and you have to understand verse 11 and 12 together. Yeah, there's a connection. And so you should let the, the grammatical connection there inform the interpretation of what he means when he uses the term silence. Um, so in light of that, this also brings up the question of, is this, is this a statement of no speaking at all? When he right. says, be quiet or silent, I mean, is this just an absolute thing? So again, if we simply leave verse 11 on its own, then I would say, yeah, you have to conclude that it's the idea of women not speaking at all. It's just let them be quiet. Right. right? But if you keep it connected to verse 12, um, then it's best understood then to be describing the idea of, of disputing and talking in such a manner so as to control the instruction. And then through that, which is so common, slip in teaching now on the side. Right, right? and, and uh, I think it's worth noting that everyone listening, if they've been to any Bible study or any kind of setting where somebody's teaching, they all know what that is. And I, a male and female, I mean, it doesn't matter yeah. where, where you've got those people who come in and they just... 
I, I've had, so I, I had this many years ago in a small group where a man was leading and a woman didn't like it, um, what he was saying or how he was saying things. And so she's now praying at the end and she prays and God just let us all remember to be humble. <laughs> and there's something like that. And cause she didn't like the, which he had every right to express authority. He was the leader and he wasn't speaking anything inappropriate at all, but she just disagreed with him on something and found it to be entirely prideful. And, but through that prayer, she's going to, she's going to assault him passively. Right. 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 So, and that's, what's probably what's happening in, in fact, very likely what's happening in Ephesus. Um, it's not again dissimilar to what we do in our prayers, in in our own our, in our own teaching. Yeah, the second way um, that Paul states that she is to learn is interesting. It's to be in full or complete submission, as he says. Um, now, what makes this stand out is his his insertion or use of this word passe, which is entire or all. Yeah, um, he's really emphasizing. Yeah, not just submission, but all submission. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so submission is the appropriate response for, for everyone toward authority. In fact, he's just using the common word here that, that Christians are to have toward various, um, people or institutions to which they're supposed to submit. Um, so Ro Paul in Romans 13, right? right? Submit to your governing authorities. Right. Um, not just the common word for submit, but he says entire submission. So here, the, the way a woman is to learn is, is quietly and with a mindset or disposition of submission. Um, they're, they're not to do it with a half a heart, nor with the thought of looking for a way to subtly take over um, in some... And, and that whole idea of entire submission really is driving at a heart attitude. You know, you can obey externally, but you can't really submit. Right. Not, not in the true sense of what that word means, uh, just merely externally. It, it requires a heart attitude, which goes backwards to the issue of dress modestly. But, right. but it's not the external just dress. It's actually mm -hmm. designed to show and reflect a heart attitude that then reflects itself in dressing. Here he's saying you're, to be, you're being commanded to learn, but the way that you're learning is with a heart right. of entire submission if if we can communicate that somehow in this yeah it's a posture go, right, right yeah it will go so far in helping clear up the problem uh that people are having with this whole debate so i think it's my turn right uh yeah fourth all point. right so fourth point they're not to teach then nor are they to have authority over men now we finally get to the big verse right in verse 12, but it's not all by itself. And he says, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Now there's a little word that um, in the Greek, it, it's a very mild adversative. Um, it's not so much a, of a contrast here as much as it's just a word that helps you verbally make a transition to the next point. I kept thinking, what what's one we use in English, and and honestly, the thing I kept coming up with was um, <laughs> uh, you know, where you make or your also, point or or like also, also okay, uh, well, I mean, but you know, I know our you colloquial mean, yeah. thing, right. you know, um. and we just kind of connect. Okay, we're moving to the next point. Um, well, that's probably not exactly what's going on here, but that's in, the point is he's not making this major contrast. He's just yeah. now building off of that, and he's going to the next point. And so what he's doing then is moving from the idea of learning quietly and submissively 
which he frames as a positive statement in verse 11, now he goes and clarifies it by making these two negative uh, statements. So in verse 11, he says, to do it, learn this way in a positive way. And then in verse 12, he states it negatively. So in 12, what he's making is a simple point that to teach or to have authority over men is not permitted in the church. Now, he doesn't use an imperative here and some try to make a big deal out of that, uh, that there's not a command uh, built into the word permit. And it's likely, though, because the imperative is already bound up in verse 11. That's the key one, is that the, the command for a woman is not to be teaching, mm-hmm. but to be learning. Yeah. Well, and, so, and, and he's speaking from apostolic authority. I do not permit, right? right as he's giving right. direction to the church. And, and so, just understand that. Um, Because some people try to make a big deal out of that. So note then that he says that women are not to teach. This is where we get into where we started out. Uh, This is not actually the term for preach. And so every time you hear somebody trying to frame the argument about, well, women can't preach, that's not what Paul says. He says, no, they're not to teach. Um, and so it can't simply be held in the idea of formal preaching behind a pulpit like they had a pulpit back then. Um, nor is it speaking of teaching that's merely authoritative, as some choose to interpret. Uh, rather, the word here, to teach, is the very common New Testament term simply that refers to the instruction in biblical truth. Um, and that's any kind of instruction in biblical truth. That is teaching doctrine, instruction in theology, the exposition of the Bible. Um, but that's only one half of this. The second half is they're also not to have authority over men. And so you have a second prohibition. They're not one and the same. Um, there's no way that you can make this just mean authoritative teaching. But again, you'll hear people doing that all the time. I would argue that it's impossible, by the way, to teach non-authoritatively. I mean, it's a at waste that, to listen to. <laughs> yeah, at that point, you're not really teaching; you're just suggesting, I yeah. guess, um, which is what a what, lot of yeah, preaching is nowadays. <laughs> um, but it's actually dealing with it's a conversation. Yes. Oh, golly. Don't get me going on that one. Um, but so <laughs> now I've lost my way. Yeah. Anyhow, they're not to have authority over men. It's a completely separate category from teaching. It's the idea of exercising authority over someone or some group. And here he's very clear what group it is. It's not to be done over men. Right. Um, there's not a lot that needs to be discussed. Would you agree with me on that? On, on that? Because it's it's very straightforward. Yeah, there's not. Um, I would say, though, that the, this idea of, and you mentioned it as condensing teaching with authority, which is where a lot of the conversations at mm-hmm. right now, especially in the, I don't know if they're self-designating themselves as this, but as this, quote, soft complementarians. Yeah, or something when like did that, that become I, a... I don't know, or uh, complementarian feminist. Or I don't even know what they're calling let themselves. Me, let but... me just say this to the listener. If you hear somebody say they're a soft complementarian, they're not a complementarian. Mm. Yeah. Um, right. Um, but what, one of the things that they're doing is they're condensing this idea of teaching with authority as somehow it's authoritative teaching. Um, but that, I mean, that's just grammatical gymnastics at this point. There, there are two very different categories here. Um, they are connected because as you said, there's something inherently authoritative to the nature of teaching. 
And so Paul is picking up on that, but he's essentially saying, I don't permit a woman to teach a man and precisely because I don't permit a woman to exercise authority over a man. That's the reason why. So he's not saying they, they, they can teach as long as they don't do it in a quote authoritative way, which is again, where the conversation's at. Um, that just doesn't make sense. Uh, because again, authority is always inherent to the nature of teaching. Rather, it's I don't permit a woman to teach a man, but in the first place, because women are not permitted to exercise authority over a man. Yeah, and then now contrast that with hearing Beth Moore was invited to preach on a church at, on a Sunday because it was Mother's Day, and people saying, look, it's Mother's Day. I don't have a problem with that. And it's like, what does that have to do with the price of tea in China, as my dad would say, <laughs> he's like, yeah. But that—that's exactly the idea. It's like somehow now you can preach or you can teach. You can because we'll it's just take Mother's a week Day. off of doing church here, you know, and now you can just <sighs> teach on whatever you want vaguely. No, I'm starting to get so. Th again. This also applies though to those who make the argument that if an elder allows a woman to teach, then it's somehow okay because she's teaching as a result of the elders' approve approval or authority. Right. My simple response to this is you're not allowed to sin even if the elders tell you it's okay to sin. Um, this is like saying that a woman can lead her husband because the husband has determined the wife may now have the authority to lead the home. Mm. Right? Yeah, that's, it's a, that's a pretty good line there, man. Yeah, it, well, it's inherently contradictory is mm. the point. Yeah, but it's also still a really good line. Say it again. Um, yeah, it's like saying that a woman can lead her husband because the husband has determined that the wife may now have the authority to lead the home. Yeah, you can't do it. No. It, the Bible is the Bible. It is our final rule in authority. Yeah. Unless apparently you're a soft complementarian, then the Bible doesn't have to mean squat. Yeah. That's probably an arrogant statement. Yeah. Anyhow. Um, yes. Go ahead and make a final point. Well, sure, yeah. Uh, the final point that we have, the comment that we have in this verse is to understand that the term for man here um, refers to adult males. So that helps clarify the restriction. Yeah. Women can teach children, uh, certainly male children. And I, I, I want to develop that maybe in one more podcast. I don't know how many we'll do on this subject. Like I said, I didn't want to do the first one, but yeah. apparently it's well, pressing. The, yeah, corollary to this topic also is someone made a comment on the Facebook page, and I got a request tonight from someone personally that they would like to hear a follow-up on what voices are allowed to speak into your life? So, you know, how many teachers should you let speak in? Should you let only your pastors? Should yeah. really only your husband speak in it? You know, what does this look like? How do we do this? So I think that's a worthwhile topic. Okay, and we, and we could build on that. Okay, yeah. that'd, be, that'd be interesting. Um, so having done that, he reiterates the idea of being quiet again. Um, all of this is because he expects it. So then we come into a fifth argument. Is it your turn? It is. Okay. I did fourth and you just kind of picked it up. Oh, okay. Um, fifth, the argument for these prohibitions that Paul gives are rooted in Genesis 1 and 3. And if we can figure out how to create a little video where we can show you a... Put up the passage or Yeah, something. passage, and yeah. we can draw circles and lines and stuff. We'll do that. We may not, though. Coffee mug goes to someone who tells us how to do that. Well, I think I figured it out. So do I get the coffee mug? <laughs> how many do you have? Well, someone can tell us how to, how to do it and say it costs a million dollars, but I mean, you got to do this thing on the cheap Yeah, way. that's true. Yeah, on the cheap way. But, but it, 
we're now going to get into again the grammar and the flow of the yeah. of the text. So take it away. So um, I just popped up something that has nothing to do. With this. Okay, so yeah, the, the argument for the prohibitions are rooted in Genesis three, and and we the reason for that is because he starts out um, in verse thirteen with the word for, right, which always means for this reason. So he gives his prohibitions, and then he, and then he gives his reason for. So so, but it. Go ahead. Never no. mind. No, you you need to say it. Um, okay. Um, so he says, I don't, or a woman must receive instruction silently under complete control. And I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. She must be quiet for this reason. Adam was formed first, then Eve. Furthermore, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. Um, and so he's giving his argument. Now, this requirement has therefore nothing to do with some sort of contemporary problems in Ephesus. Um, yeah, it's not because he is a patriarchal little misogynist. Yeah. Yeah. Or that Ephesus was having greater issues with conflict within the church. So he's just trying to teach this particular local church charity and kindness by saying, all right, let's What's have submissions here. in the Bible? Or he was merely accommodating. Right, divine uh, accommodation, yeah. Um. And it's one, it is one of the most common ways that people try to just make the passage go away, just dismiss it. Um, you know, you, you'll, also, you'll often hear that there were women in the church, for instance, who were teaching false things, and this is what Paul is now speaking about. But if you read the book with care, it's obviously or obvious that Paul makes it clear that the false and the bad teachers there were men. Um, it's always men. It's men who come into the church, into the homes, and create these problems. Um, Second, this has nothing to do with the contemporary view of, of women in the culture, as we said. There is no accommodation here. He roots the argument way back in the creation account of Genesis. Um, Paul, Paul roots the reasoning, as we said, of the command from the, older, um, from the order that man and women were created and also the consequences of how they fell into sin. Uh, therefore, it's a transcultural mandate. Um, and there, there's a simple chiastic structure here. Do you want to talk about that one? No, go ahead. Oh, all right. You, you were talking about it on Sunday too in your passage, so. Yeah, well, he, he's making a chiastic structure. Besides, my son was trying to call me and. Is I that what that texting, noise was? Yeah, no. I was having to text him and say, leave me alone. I'm taping a podcast. <laughs> so my mind is elsewhere now. All right, maybe he wants to be on it. Um, oh, that would be fun. <laughs> yeah, he'd love that, I'm sure. Um, so the simple chiastic structure, it's a simple chiastic structure where the prohibition of the teaching connects to the fact that Eve was deceived. Um, and the prohibition of authority is connected to Adam being created first. And a chiastic structure is really common in the Bible, extremely common. Um, and it's actually something worth looking up if you want to see how they work. It's spelled C-I-A or C-H-I-A-S-T-I-C. Just look that up and you can kind of get a sense of how it flows. But go ahead. Um, yeah, so he, he makes the <laughs> argument here in a chiastic structure. Um, you know, so, so there, in other words, consequences to right. the fall. That's the point. Um, there's a purpose behind the way God created mankind also. And so it also presupposes that men and women were unique creations. Uh, this is unlike a lot of evangelical teachers are teaching right now who argue for pre-humanoid evolution or something like that. that Think Tim Keller. Yeah, we're all equal in some way. But he made men and women different. They're both image bearers. They both have value. 
but they're different. They're unique. Yep. And and we don't freak out that a woman struggles in pain with childbirth. That's just and and there you know I remember Kim when she had our oldest, so therefore our first, and she she said to God in a prayer as as birth pains started coming, she's like, "It wasn't my fault. I didn't do it." <laughs> and I thought that was so sweet. Um, but it doesn't matter. It's it's the lot of every woman to have to endure because Eve fell and this curse was brought. And this is a reality that he's just making in this passage is there's a consequence, whether you like it or not, is really a separate issue. God is saying through Paul that this is a standard. So then we have our sixth and final point. And this is a, probably the most struggled over verse in the sense of what it means. Um, he then gives an illustration that captures everything that he's just taught in the preceding verses, not just teaching, uh, but everything about the women. Do you want to read that uh, passage? Mm-hmm. But women shall be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. All right. So depending on your translation, you have preserved or saved. Um, either one is a legitimate uh, translation. Um, the answer lies really in the purpose of the passage. Um, and it most certainly is not meaning that having babies is a means by which a woman is saved from God's wrath, because now Paul would literally have to abandon everything he has just said in that book alone, right. much less everything else. And yet I've heard many people say, well, that's what he's saying. It's like, no, it's not. Again, it's failing to understand the plasticity that's a hard word for me to say, of words and, and how they mean, what they mean. Right. But here he's actually using uh, a fancy sounding word. It's a figure of speech called a synecdoche uh, to sum up things. And all that means is you refer to a part of something to actually refer to the whole. So you say, check out my new wheels. You you understand in the context that it's check out my new car. Uh, if you say all hands on deck, you're not asking the sailor's hands only to show up. You're, yeah, you picture, I actually always picture <laughs> that. And hands. they always wear white gloves as they're running around <laughs> like the thing or yeah, whatever. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's talking about the sailor. Um, and that's all he's doing here. Paul takes the one thing that is absolutely, utterly unique to a woman, and that is her ability to bear children. Men just can't do it. Uh, and he, what? <laughs> it's a completely different topic. Oh, then but, I don't want to, well, well should I'm just we saying, go there? No. no okay. No. <laughs> so, all right, so let me start that sentence over again. He, he takes one thing that's absolutely, now I want to know. <laughs> Yeah, we well, no, I'm just talking about how with, you know, gender dysphoria and oh, uh, yeah. all these things. It's just like, well, is it really well, just rare to... It, <laughs> well, it to? is, because like in Time Magazine, I think it was one of their stupid issues, mm. rec- oh, yeah, they said uh, that bad. this man is gay birth. And I'm like, no, he didn't. And I'm like, I know he didn't. So let's figure out who this he is. Well, it's not he, it's a she, right, right, right. blah, blah, blah. And so anyhow, but your point's valid. my Sorry. point is valid. Yeah. And thanks for taking us down that road. Um, anyhow, uh, childbearing is unique to the woman, um, and it uses it to speak of their calling. So he's simply saying, look, embrace God's design for you. Be busy with that work, and it will preserve you. 
Um, it's not going to save you from sin. It will preserve you. Uh, re, re, and, and, and so what he's saying is uh, rebel, resent, and resist this calling, and no good thing will come up to and including even the apostasy. Um, when you start fighting against God's design as a male or a female, um, nothing good ultimately will ever come right. from that. And I don't think people really appreciate it. So again, they look at the Beth Moore situation and they're like, but I like her teaching or I've learned so much from her or this or that. It doesn't matter. Right. It just doesn't matter. Um, well, and that's, that's uh, sorry, I was going to say that's, that's, even Genesis, right? She did not, she rebelled against what she should have been devoted to, right. which was the leadership of her husband. But right. She chose to right. ignore that and was deceived. And so don't just think embracing your femaleness is enough, though. It's designed to use, be used to express your faith, uh, their holiness, uh, and even their self control. And so all of this, he says, you know, you're preserved through your childbearing, meaning through your femaleness by embracing that, but by embracing it in the, in the realm of faith and godliness. Yeah, so, as a one making a claim to godliness, right? Right. That, when I read this passage, that's all I think about. Like, okay, you're claiming godliness. This is what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw, I, I think it was, I don't know who it was. I saw somebody talking about women preaching. And they're like, what's wrong with that? And it was a woman who just pointed out, look, that's fine. But then she would have to qualify for the qualifications of an elder, who, which is a preacher, um, in First Timothy 3. And it's like, you're already going to fail because you have to be a husband of yeah. one wife. Um, it, yeah. it, it's not a hard subject. It's just a no. sore subject in this Me Too kind of hyper-feministic, that's probably not even a word, culture that we're living in where everyone is filled with uh, hurt feelings and yeah. Shock that you would actually think something. So let's just take it all back to Beth. Well, Moore. And just oh. one more comment. I mean, it's similar to what you've been saying, but it's it it is like everything else in the Bible of principles versus pragmatics, right? So yeah, okay. Let's say she's got a gift of speaking. Let's say you feel something when she talks. Let's say you feel like you've learned something. So what? That's right. a pragmatic effect. That's not the principle. The principle is that they're not to teach or exercise authority over men, right? And so, like I was talking with with somebody today in premarital and the issue came up of what if I don't, what if my husband is going to make a really foolish decision that's just going to really harm our family? I said, well, one, there's the appeal process, but two, let's say you make that appeal and he still rejects. What's your call to do in that situation? Provided he's not asking you to sin, we'll submit. And then I said, good. So why? And the answer was, because to not submit is to buy into the lie that there's somehow blessing in not submitting. Right. She, so, so you're going to leave the principle for the pragmatic effect right. that you think is going to be better. Same thing with the roles of men and women in teaching and preaching. God has laid out his principle, and this is what it is. And to reject that is to ultimately put yourself in harm's way because it's against his design. And in fact, to reiterate what you said, and then all we are is right back into the garden. Right. And and the same sin, rinse, better. repeat, and we know better, right? And we and we can fix this, and sin adds to sin. And so when we come back to Beth Moore, we actually have answered everything you need to know about Beth Moore, to be honest. Um, 
All you have to do is apply this text to the situation and everything goes away. Uh, she shouldn't be teaching in a mixed audience at all. It really is that simple. It has nothing to do with whether it's a Sunday or if it's behind a pulpit or if her pastor said it was okay. None of that matters. It doesn't matter what sort of anointing supposedly she has or gifting or opportunities. What matters is what the Bible says is good or bad, right or wrong. So we're going to, uh, we're planning on doing at least another episode to try to flesh out some of the application of this text. And we're going to get into some other passages as well to expand our sense of what a woman's calling in the church ought to be with regard to teaching. So Make tune sure in. To... Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, all right. Make sure to tune in, join the conversation. Let us know what you think. Don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, review. Tell your friends. Mm-hmm.